the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk prison reform. We're going to talk uh, Christic manhood. And should Christians ever retire? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. As always, find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com, and you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, subscribe again, rate again, review again. I don't know if you can even do that. Uh, but we do know that when you subscribe and you review that uh, and you rate it, that helps us. And uh, so we would appreciate if you go ahead and do that. Usually at this point, joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is gone for the week uh, doing some schooling and uh, I believe some grad school work. And uh, so I will be flying solo. But also what we're going to do this week is bring in a lot of uh, various ministry leaders and pastors from the area. In fact, uh, in the second hour today, I'm going to be joined by Ken Johnson from Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park. So excited to have Ken with us. Uh, that's going to be in our five o'clock hour. But again, we're glad to have you join us. And we've spent a lot of time on our first year talking about prisons and prison reform and what is the purpose uh, of prison. And so I want to read to you this is kind of not really how we often start. Uh, But I want to read to you a story uh, that I found this weekend that happened this weekend. And so if you'll bear with me, stay with me. uh, Let me read uh, a little bit of this story. Nicholas Sutton, uh, his childhood was horrific. A federal judge wrote in 2011, his mother abandoned him as a baby uh, and left with his violent, abusive and mentally ill father who beat him mercilessly. Uh, His father beat Nick so badly he broke his arm and he held Nick and his grandmother at gunpoint once leading to an armed standoff with police. Nick became addicted to drugs after the drugs after doing drugs with his father at age 12 and his young brain suffered damage from childhood head injuries resulting in a loss of consciousness and two severe injuries to his eye. Uh, None of this evidence was presented to his jury, even though Nick was only 18 years old when he killed his paternal grandmother in Tennessee and then two men in North Carolina. He was sentenced to life in Tennessee's dangerous and overcrowded prisons where incarcerated men lived in constant fear of violent attack. According to uh, a petition, another incarcerated man attacked Nick with a lead pipe and hit him so hard that his eye became dislodged from his eye socket. In 1985, Nick found himself in what former correction commissioner and warden James Aiken called a kill or be killed position with Carl Estep, an incarcerated man who told staff he planned to kill Nick. With no hope for protection from from prison staff, Nick fatally stabbed Mr. Estep. He was 23 years old. Prosecutors offered him a life sentence conditioned on guilty pleas, 
uh, from him and his co-defendant. Mr. Sutton was willing to enter a guilty plea, but his co-defendant refused to accept the sentence of 30 to 40 years. Because of this, Mr. Sutton was sentenced to death. He was the only person in Tennessee under a death sentence for killing another incarcerated person. Now, during his time in prison, Mr. Sutton saved the lives of three correction staff. He protected a guard from five prisoners who were trying to take him hostage during a 1985 prison riot. Uh, It says Nick risked his safety and well-being in order to save people uh, from possible death. Uh, I owe him my life to him, the prison guard said. He said, if Nick Sutton was released tomorrow, I would welcome him into my home and invite him to be my neighbor. Mr. Sutton also prevented an inmate from attacking a deputy from behind while he tried to break up a fight. And he protected a female correction professional from being injured in a fall. When untreated uh, multiple sclerosis left Paul House, who was exonerated and released from death row in 2009, unable to walk, and the prison denied him a wheelchair, Mr. Sutton carried him around the prison. He took Mr. House to the shower every day, helped him wash, carried him to visits with his mother, who told the governor in pleading for clemency, Nick is the only reason Paul is alive today. Mr. Sutton also saved the life of a man who had collapsed in his cell from a punctured intestinal tract. And after Lee Hall Jr. went blind while on death row and was denied a cane, Mr. Sutton guided him through the unit to ensure his safety. Mr. Sutton studied mediation and conflict resolution to assist both peers and staff in reducing conflicts and became a leader in a combined class of divinity students and people sentenced to death taught by Dr. Graham Reside, professor of ethics at Vanderbilt Divinity University. In the clemency petition, Dr. Reside said that uh, executing Nick Sutton after such a valiant struggle to become a loving and generous witness in the world would be unjust. Corrections officers told the governor that Mr. Sutton is not the same man who committed those crimes. He has worked harder than any inmate I have known to better himself, one said. He has learned from his mistakes. He has grown and matured, and he has become one of the most influential inmates, inspiring other inmates to better themselves. So why do I tell you this story uh, of this? Well, five members of the jury that sentenced him to death and one alternate jury agreed that Mr. Sutton should not be executed and urged the governor to commute his death sentence. Victims, family members, including members of the Estep, Sutton and Allman families, all asked the governor to spare Mr. Sutton's life. Despite the insistence of correction staff that Mr. Sutton uh, was living proof of the possibility of rehabilitation and the power of redemption, the governor, governor denied clemency on Wednesday. Nick Sutton was executed this past week by electric chair. He was the fourth person killed by the state of Tennessee since January of 2019 and the seventh since the state resumed executions in August of 2018. This raises again this question, friends. What's the point of prison system? What are we trying to go to? Uh, Nick, uh, Nick Sutton, it said, had gone from a life taker to a life saver. Uh, A former federal district judge, Kevin Sharp, wrote in his clemency application, no fewer than seven former and current corrections officers supported clemency. Uh, They described him as an honest, kind and trustworthy man who had used his time in prison to better himself and show that changes are possible. And yet he was executed this past weekend. And I don't know the ins and outs. I'm not one who claims to have a law degree or claims to know these things. But it, it appears from people who would know a lot better than I that Nick Sutton, uh, by the age of 58, had really been rehabilitated and was changing his life around, was saving lives, was taking classes, was doing good, and that everybody who came in contact with 
uh, with him, including the families of his victims, were begging the Tennessee governor for clemency. And yet clemency was not shown to him. Instead, he was executed. And so I just put that out before us. I don't know what you think out there about the death penalty. Uh, It is a hot button topic. Uh, I have my feelings about it um, that I think are uh, informed and formed by uh, by scripture. Uh, But you might disagree. There are a lot of uh, Christ followers out there who stand on different sides of this topic. But I would just ask you this. uh, What good was done this weekend by executing Nick Sutton? It seems like he was doing a lot of good in the prison. He was making a difference in people's lives. He was a. Uh, a valued member even of that prison community. So I'm not even suggesting that Nick Sutton should have been left at let out uh, of prison. But what I am suggesting is that maybe electrocution and execution was not the best route to take here. And I know that's a hard one to start with, but I just think it's important because sometimes we need to be faced with the hard things of life and ask, huh, What should we as the church, what should we uh, as Christ followers, what should we be advocating for? What should we be thinking about this? Uh, So that's how I thought we would start today. Kicking it off here on this Tuesday. My name is Brian Fromm. Ian Simpkins not with us today, but we're going to continue and march on. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Back to the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. That's just some smooth music right there, man. That just gets me. If you feel like you're a little like uh, on edge today, just listen to this music. That's good. Good choice, my man. Listen to that drum work, too. That's that's the best part. Just, that's good. He doesn't slow down. He just keeps going. Yeah, this makes me feel good. And uh, yeah, Ian Simpkins normally with us. Ian is uh, usually the one commenting on the music here. Hmm. Uh, but Ian is out this week. He is uh, at grad school, so uh, he will be gone all week. I will be sitting in, uh, flying solo, some of it, but also each day uh, having in guests that hopefully will be fascinating and interesting. Uh, We're going to start that uh, today with, uh, oh no, we started yesterday with Ashley Hare, and then today we're going to have Ken Johnson in. Ken is uh, the pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park. Uh, Before we jump into our topic here, AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Uh, Tickets start at just $25 and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert Question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. Get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. Hopefully you'll be able to join us for that Andrew Peterson concert. Get your tickets at 1160hope.com. I've only ever heard great things about Andrew Peterson and uh, would love to have you join us on this night. Well, one of the things that seems to always fly around Uh, The Christian circles is uh, what is um, Christian masculinity and is it different from what our our 
um, our culture teaches or is it similar? How do we wrestle with that? And we've had many books, you know, this is where Promise Keepers came out of. John Eldridge, Wild at Heart came out of this conversation years ago, 10, 15 years ago. There was a very popular book called Why Men Hate Going to Church that talked about this and uh, think also of Mark Driscoll and others, kind of this biblical manhood. What does it mean to be a man? I believe there was even a conference that they ran called Real Man, Real Men. And so uh, there's this whole concept of what does it mean to be a man? And in with that in mind, I thought Nathan Pyle, he's an author, blogger, and a, a Reformed Church of America ordained pastor. Uh, he wrote a blog at uh, Religion News and uh Pyle knows what he's talking about. He wrote a book called Man Enough, How Jesus Redefines Manhood and More Than You Can Handle. Uh, and so uh, let me read to you some of his blog, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Masculinity in America is an exercise in proving oneself, in measuring up. But to what? In America, there's no standardized assessment to measure when or whether one has completed the transition from boy to man. Is manhood reached when one gets their driver's license? After one has their first full-time job, achieves an athletic milestone, gets married as a kid, opens a Roth IRA. We joke about men losing their man card. Is that really possible? And what if whatever scale one measures themselves against shifts with the currents of culture? Undergirding the most celebrations of hyper-masculine characteristics is a chronic anxiety about whether one is strong enough, successful enough, rich enough, or powerful enough Because there's not a static definition of manhood, men are left wondering if they've achieved the necessary accolades to establish themselves as a man in the eyes of others, particularly other men. For Christians, of course, there is an ideal man, one who invites us to follow his teachings and example. But that doesn't alleviate the cultural anxiety around masculinity that Christian men feel. In fact, following the life of Jesus and his teachings may move Christian men farther from the dominant cultural ideals of other day, of our day. Rather than traveling this narrow way, some take an extraordinary mental gymnastics to fit Jesus into our modern molds. Take, for example, Owen Strachan's recent tweet gone viral when he wrote this. Men today are often soft, weak, passive, unprotective. But physical discipline is key for men. Here, Paul, I batter my body and make it my slave. Strykin writes, Christian Christic manhood is protective, sharp, watchful. The man who is willfully soft physically is often soft spiritually. Powell goes on to say, though, fear is at the heart of these sentiments. A man who is physically soft and weak is a man unprepared for battle and thus easily conquered by others. A man who's passive is evil, easily dominated. A man who is unprotective is a man who will have what is stolen from him, what is his stolen from him, including his masculinity. This understanding of masculinity, Paul writes, goes back to the founding of America. And he then walks us through here uh, how it has changed over time. But I want to jump towards the end. Uh, towards some things he says here. The Christian ideal for men is not a construct of the culture. It never has been. Esau would have been more of a man in our culture than Jacob, who liked to hang around the tents and cook, but it was Jacob whom God loved. Paul exhorted men to embody the fruit of the spirit like gentleness and kindness. Jesus promised that the meek will inherit the earth. Manhood is, in fact, rooted in the new man, Jesus, not American Jesus, who has been retrofitted with certain social ideals. 
recasting Jesus in such a way that he affirms our favorite cultural depiction of men neuters the radical nature of his humanity. Jesus was a man who was at times was firm, but other times was gentle, was seemingly passive while actively in control, was controlled in his anger and open with his tears. Jesus was strong enough to bear the weight of the cross and weak enough to be crushed by it. Jesus is the, imi- is the image of imitation for every man, for every human, and he will challenge every ideal. The gospel of Jesus is not a gospel of proving yourself or measuring up. It's a gospel of acceptance. Proving yourself is unnecessary. Before you can make your case that you belong, the father places his signet ring on your finger and calls you son. Your title, your place, your identity has been secured by an act of love, not a show of strength. Go and do likewise. You have nothing to prove. I found this blog to be so powerful uh, and so needed when we have all of these um, different voices trying to define what is manhood, what is womanhood, what does it need to be, and and when we get into that hyper-masculine, ultra-macho uh, ideal of manhood, I think Nathan Pyle does us a great service here by bringing us back to Jesus and just asking, uh, is this what Jesus would do? Is this what Jesus, is this what Jesus modeled? Do we as the Christ follower and as the church even want to hold up Jesus as the model of true manhood? Because Jesus sacrificed, Jesus put others before himself, Uh, Jesus remained quiet when he could have fought, Uh, Jesus had a strength to him, uh, but I would say not a bravado. And so we need to ask ourselves, has our vision of masculinity been more formed by the Christ of the Gospels and the Christ of the Bible, or has it been formed by the ideals of our culture? Don't get me wrong. There's nothing with there's nothing wrong with being masculine. There's nothing wrong with <laughs> being uh, all these things that it describes in here. Right. Uh, beating your body to to be stronger and uh, whatever else it might be. There's nothing wrong with that. The, the question that this article does such a good job raising, though, is uh, is that the only manhood there is? And what is the church teaching? What does the Bible teach? And therefore, what is the church displaying? And showing, I think it's such an important conversation for to have with our boys, to have with our daughters, and to have as a church. Well, coming up next, the Gospel Coalition writes an article that says Christians should never retire. We're going to discuss that next year on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here. And after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference. I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did. And so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so 
they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us today on this Tuesday afternoon. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is not here today. Ian is out for the week. Uh, in his stead, we will be, I'll be flying solo some, but we will also uh, be bringing in local pastors, local ministry leaders uh, to just have some interesting and good conversations. So yesterday, Ashley Hare was in. Uh, from he's a lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. Later on in the today's show, Ken Johnson is going to join us. Ken is uh, pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park. Uh, we've got Mal- John Malk from Malk and Baker coming in later in the week. Uh, we've got uh, Kurt Wiggins, uh, Dave Getz, Greg Arthur, Kevin Sampson. We got all sorts of people. We're going to come join us this week, and uh, we hope you choose to join us all week long. But for the rest of this hour, going to fly solo, and then Ken will join us uh, in the middle of next hour. Uh, again, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online at 1160hope.com, and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. At the Gospel Coalition, uh, a really fascinating article that I would like us to wrestle with, because uh, some of you are going to really agree with it, and some of you are going to vehemently disagree with this. So we'd love you to read it at our Facebook page and give us your opinion. Uh, I'm a pastor. Ian's a pastor. Ian's at uh, Christ Communi- uh, sorry, Community Christian Church in Naperville, the Yellow Box. I am at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. And so these are the types of conversations that we're having from the pulpit, but also with our parishioners. And at the Gospel Coalitions, Gospel Coalition, they write this. Why Christians should never retire. They write Christians may be free to retire from their occupation, but as disciples of Christ, we aren't free ever free to retire from serving God and others. So they make a differentiation there. Importantly, about our occupation and our mission. If we're fortunate enough to be freed from the demands of working for a living, that opens a door of opportunity to do more work for the kingdom using the wisdom, experience, talents, and resources the Holy Spirit has given us through a lifetime of discipleship. If this sounds like retire but don't retire, that sums it up well. Retire or don't from your job or career, but if you do retire... Uh, then imagine and plan for a retirement that is different than the world envisioned. So let me pause there and then we'll, we'll pick up the article here. They are making the claim here that you can retire from your job. Absolutely. That we aren't necessarily called uh, to work until the day that we die. So they are not against retirement from occupation. They are trying to tell us, Do not use your retirement years just on yourself, but instead use the freedom, freedom of time, freedom of resources, freedom of worry to also use it as a time to engage more deeply in mission. Go serve, 
uh, serve your neighbors, serve at your church, serve in an organization. Uh, use it as a time to creatively ask, how can I serve God's kingdom? How can I even dive more deeply into service? And what they're arguing is that oftentimes we retire from our job, but in some ways we also then end up retiring from life. Well, I'm just going to travel. Uh, famously, right? John Piper uh, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, tells the story of the people who set their entire retirement life on collecting seashells. And Piper basically says, uh, I don't know. I think you miss it when you think you're going to get to heaven one day and say, hey, God, look at my pretty seashells. And that's classic Piper right there. But this concept of we don't retire from mission. We're always on mission. Let me continue. Uh, this is written by Chris Cagle in my book, uh, Reimagine Retirement, Planning and Living for the Glory of God. I look at the biblical and historical perspective on retirement and then describe what a Christian reimagined retirement might look like. I describe it this way, the author says. A reimagined retirement is one that is planned, structured, lived, and continually reexamined in light of sound biblical doctrine, principles, and practice. It is a retirement lived for the glory of God, his kingdom, and the good of his people. Retirement may mean a new season of life. But it doesn't mean we should stop growing and investing our time, talents, and treasure in God's kingdom-building work. All our personal and material gifts, whether we have much or little, are good gifts from God that can be used in retirement for our joy, others' good, and God's glory. All of us have been given gifts in in various measures from God in the form of skills, talents, resources, and abilities. And though he goes on to give us a list of four, he goes, here are four kinds of stewardship, stewardship of time. He writes serving and mentoring. One of the greatest dangers of retirement, he says, is withdrawal from the mainstream of life and decreased involvement with others. It's vitally important for the Christian retiree to stay involved and to keep family, church and community relationships alive. He writes in these contexts, serving, discipling, mentoring and personal ministry can take place stewardship of time too, stewardship of talents, calling and vocation. Many imagine retirement as a time to finally do whatever they want subject to physical and financial limitations. They envision endless hours of rest, relaxation and recreation with few responsibilities or obligations of any kind. This is inconsistent with the Bible's God glorifying vision of work. The Bible teaches the intrinsic value and dignity of work, and that doesn't apply only for work for pay. We find joy and fulfillment by working in the vocations to which we're called, and it enriches others' lives. Number three, stewardship of treasure. So we've got time, talents, now we've got treasure. We shouldn't uh, retire uh, unless we can provide for our families and continue to be generous towards others. We must be careful not to retire from a paying job too soon. We have a responsibility to our families and others to be reasonably confident that we can afford to retire before we pull the trigger. Due to increasing longevity, inflation, healthcare costs, and other concerns, there are serious doubts about our ability to fund several decades in retirement. Many surveys and studies have reached the same conclusion that many people don't have enough money saved to support a prolonged period of not working for income. So be smart with your treasure. Number four, stewardship of testimony. We may eventually retire from our job or career, but we may never retire. We never retire from being a disciple of Christ. 
Uh, We abide in him so that our lives will continue to bear fruit. The biblical pattern for the older Christian is to continue maturing as a faithful follower of Jesus, active church member, and good husband or wife, father or mother, grandparent or friend. Faithfulness comes through uh, continued exercise of the spiritual disciplines, devotion, fellowship, reading, prayer, listening to the preaching of God's word, and diligently applying it to our lives. It also means humbly receiving honest and loving input from those God brings into our lives. This is Chris Cagle. Uh, He is at a Crossway Community Church in Charlotte. Uh, He says the Bible exhorts us to pursue, enjoy, and glorify God throughout our lives, including when we are retired. And so he wants to challenge us, and I think this is a really helpful challenge, uh, that we've all been given gifts, whether it be financial whether it be um, in, in our abilities, uh, whether it be the gift of time. And so much of our culture is set up to retire and just shut it down and live just for yourself. And I think Cagle makes a fabulous point here. Retire or don't retire from your job. That's not the point. But never, ever retire from living on mission for the cause of Jesus Christ. So we'll put this up at our Facebook page. We would love your comments on it. The Gospel Coalition, Christians should never retire. Coming up next, uh, an interesting study out of Brotherhood Brotherhood Mutual uh, and something that's very sad about the church. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Hopefully you're making it back home safely tonight. And uh, you can find us on Facebook. You're at home tonight. You're just surfing around Facebook. Go find us at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. It is there as we discuss these uh, different topics, as we discuss articles. We always put them up there at our Facebook page for you to read, for you to comment, for you to continue the dialogue. So go ahead and find us uh, on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can do the same thing at Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows. You can listen. We stream there. You can listen to shows uh, as they are on live. You can find other shows that play here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Lots of great content throughout the day. And lastly, we are a podcast, so you can find us. uh, If you uh, miss the show, you can't listen to us between 4 and 6, go ahead and uh, subscribe to our podcast. And every day, you listen to us whenever it works for you. Subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we are grateful for those who do listen to us via podcast. Uh, Ian and I joke oftentimes we run into people. Uh, I had somebody just the other day who said, I really like your guys' podcast. And I kind of said to them, did you know it's also a radio show? And they looked at me like, what? <laughs> and so I, some of you consume us by radio, but, uh, traditional manner, and others of you consume us by podcast. We're grateful for all of you. Uh, but if you're a podcaster, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Uh, we appreciate that. That's helpful for us. And uh, yeah, grateful for you who do. Uh, well, there was a, a somewhat of a disturbing article at Brotherhood Mutual, uh, brotherhoodmutual.com. It's just titled this, and I want to read some of this article and kind of make some comments as we go. Fraud against churches exceeds what churches give to missions. Let me read that title again, because that is a breathtaker. Fraud against churches exceeds what churches give to missions. 
Cooking the books wasn't part of the student menu plan, but the school's cook made sure it was part of the plan, it writes. Nearly every time he shopped for the food, it goes on to tell the story uh, how they stole food from this one school. Sound incredible? Perhaps, but it's an actual incident of church theft. Increasing at an annual rate of more than 6%, researchers expect fraud committed against the church worldwide to reach the $80 billion mark by 2025. That's still not the whole picture. Most cases of church fraud go unreported and therefore are not included in statistics. Church thieves are creative, says Tom Lichtenberger, assistant vice president of property claims at Brotherhood Mutual. He should know. On average, 30 or more claims involving fraud, embezzlement, or staff dishonesty show up on Lichtenberger's desk every year. Some cases seem so obvious that he says it's a wonder any thief could think that they go undiscovered. Often, church people can't bring themselves to believe that their pastor, a church trustee, longtime member, or the school cook could possibly steal from the church, Lichtenberger said. Normally, it's one of the most trusted people in the church who's pilfering from the collection plate or diverting funds from the church budget or investment accounts to feed their spending habits or pay personal debts. For instance, several years ago, A church daycare director managed to steal $100,000 before church leaders caught up with her. Not only did she steal cash, this article says, but she also told parents that since she was the director, the daycare's bank account was in her name, so they should make their checks payable to her. To cover the theft, she carried out an administrative sleight of hand. Parents paid tuition in three-week increments, so the director re-enrolled some students every few weeks. She gave local social service agencies an accurate count of students because they required an actual headcount. But she gave the church board a roster that did not include students whose tuition had been stolen. So just unbelievable brazenness and creativity there that says, nope, I'm going to figure out a scheme to steal money. Let me continue. Uh, Research on global church fraud shows that $100,000, while significant by most people's standards, is a very small part of the estimated total amount of fraud committed against the church each year. According to the current status of Global Christianity report from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, Christian organizations worldwide were expected to experience more than $68 billion in financial fraud by mid-2019. Compare that to $60 billion churches are expected to give to worldwide mission work during that same Time frame, And it goes on in this article, uh, let me sum some of it up, to say that churches provide an ideal setting for would-be thieves. Why is that? Because mainly uh, churches are seen as a haven from the ills of the world, a place of peace and kindness, a shelter of care. And uh, that's why they become kind of soft targets. People go, well, they're not going to expect it. Nobody's going to steal from the church. And therefore, would-be thieves, it says here, could, be, could find easy pickings in most churches churches uh, and that church business practices are kind of lacking. And so uh, I want to end the article with this. Uh, Brotherhood Mutual here gives uh, some steps, some red flags. If you're in a church or a nonprofit or a ministry, here are some red flags that this insurance agency says, watch out for these. Uh, And let me give you these red flag. Number one is that one person is responsible for all of it. 
Make more than one person responsible for everything. The person opening the mail shouldn't be the same person who makes the bank deposit. The individual making payments from an account should be checked by another person who balances the account. Always look for ways to reduce the temptation for those who handle the church money. Number two, red flag number two, is counting money alone. Use the rule of twos. At least two unrelated people should collect and count the offering. They also shouldn't work together during the week or be in a personal financial crisis of any sort. And red flag number three, inadequate supervision. Always reconcile bank statements and monitor financials monthly. Well-informed church leaders can spot irregularities more easily. Churches and ministries also should schedule audits by an outside organization regularly. So what happens when warnings like these go unnoticed or aren't taken seriously? Lichtenberger points to a case that crossed his desk. He says, if church leaders had been paying better attention, the pastor may never have gained sole control of church finances and misappropriated thousands of dollars from the church. He goes on to tell this story about how this one pastor managed to spend more than $200,000 on clothing, meals, vacations, and a number of other purchases uh, at stores and restaurants. And then they close this, some general fraud prevention chat tactics. One, put the church's financial policy in writing. Keep expectations consistent and clear. Two, give those responsible for financial matters access to the written policy. Three, conduct annual background checks and run annual credit reports on those who have access to church funds. And four, require annual external audits. And then there are special practices. Ask the congregation to place financial gifts uh, in envelopes. Always have at least two people collect the offering and two different people count it. Rotate counting teams and all sorts of other things. And I think the biggest thing I wanted to highlight from this, besides I was just blown away by it, like all of us should really be staggered by the fact that churches are going to give more, are going to lose more money, uh, basically in fraud than there are in giving away to worldwide missions. That is crazy. And we as churches and ministries and nonprofits need to do better with our controls, uh, with our safeguards, understanding that churches can be soft targets. And so, therefore, we need to take these kinds of things seriously. Contact one of these agencies who can help you out with best practices. Uh, but turning a blind eye that just says, ah, we're a church, we're fine, uh, is asking for your money to be mishandled and stolen. So we'll put this article up on our Facebook page. We would uh, love to have your feedback. Well, coming up next, we're going to reflect on that powerful and poignant celebration of life for Kobe and G- uh, Gianna Bryant that happened yesterday in Los Angeles. We're going to hear some of the speakers from that and then reflect upon it. That's next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to reflect upon Kobe Bryant's celebration of life. And then Pastor Ken Johnson is going to be in studio to join us. You are listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. As we've been saying, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out for the week. Uh, He is taking care of some grad school, getting smart on us. And so 
Uh, we look forward to Ian and all of his newfound wisdom joining us again next week. Uh, but uh, at what we're doing with Ian Gone is I'm flying solo a little bit on some of the stories, but then also we're just bringing in pastors and ministry leaders from the Chicago area. And uh, with that in mind, we are excited here in another 10 or 15 minutes to have Ken Johnson uh, from Christ Covenant Church in uh, Villa Park. Ken is going to join us. Uh, for a couple segments. So very excited to have Ken join us, uh, a friend, a pastor, and we're going to have a good discussion. So looking forward to that. Hey, remember, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And as always, you can find us online at 1160hope.com. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review for our podcast. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And uh, we appreciate the subscription, the rates, the reviews. That does help us somehow. You can also review the show on Facebook. Any feedback is good. You know, we usually, uh, when we read that face uh, feedback and people are like, hey, we'd love to hear you talk about this or do this, we've often done that. And so if you've got ideas for the show, uh, don't be shy. Share them with us and we'd be glad to uh, consider those things. Well, you probably saw... Yesterday was uh, the celebration of life for Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, and uh, where they died tragically along with seven others in a helicopter crash about a month ago. Uh, I believe it was on January the 26th. And yesterday they packed the Staples Center where Kobe played all those years for the Los Angeles Lakers, and it was a who's who of basketball players, of celebrities. And uh, it wasn't uh, it was just a beautiful service. It legitimately was a celebration of life of Kobe's life, but also of Gigi, who was an aspiring women's basketball player and uh, Gina Oriema from University of Connecticut, uh, Diana Taurasi, one of the most famous WNBA players and uh, Sabrina Inesco uh, from the University of Oregon, the best player right now in college basketball, all spoke on Gianna's behalf, which I thought was uh, poignant and beautiful. But before reflecting on it, I watched a lot of the clips. I want to play a couple of the clips. Let me give you to you what they're going to be in order. First is Vanessa Bryant, um, mother of Gigi, husband, uh, uh, wife of Kobe, and uh, showed unbelievable strength to be able to get up. I just can't imagine getting up before that many people to talk about the loss, tragic loss of your husband and best friend and also one of your children. I just can't Uh, fathom how she did what she did yesterday. So we're going to hear from Vanessa Bryant and then two of the most famous basketball players of all time, Michael Jordan uh, and Shaquille O'Neal. We're going to hear what they did. So we're going to listen to these back to back to back and then reflect upon them. Kobe and I have been together since I was 17 and a half years old. I was his first girlfriend, his first love, his wife, his best friend, his confidant, and his protector. He was the most amazing husband. Kobe loved me more than I could ever express or put into words. He was the early bird, and I was the night owl. I was fire, and he was ice, and vice versa at times. We balanced each other out. He would do anything for me. I have no idea how I deserved a man that loved and wanted me more than Kobe. God knew they couldn't be on this earth without each other. He had to bring them home to heaven together. Babe... You take care of our Gigi. And I got Nani, Bibi, and Coco. We're still the best team. May you both rest in peace and have fun in heaven until we meet again one day. We love you both and miss you forever and always. Mommy. 
Kobe was my dear friend. He was like a little brother. Everyone always wanted to talk about the comparisons between he and I. I just wanted to talk about Kobe. What Kobe Bryant was to me was the inspiration that someone truly cared about the way I either I played the game or the way that he wanted to play the game. He wanted to be the best basketball player that he could be. And as I got to know him, I wanted to be the best big brother that I could be. Now he's got me. I'll have to look at another crime meme for the next. I told my wife I wasn't going to do this because I didn't want to see that for the next three or four years. <laughs> that is what Kobe Bryant does to me. Field, but make no mistake, even when the folks thought we were on bad terms, when the cameras were turned off, he and I would throw a wink at each other and say, let's go whoop <laughs> We never took it seriously. In truth, Kobe and I always maintained a deep respect and a love for one another. The day I gained... The day Kobe gave my respect was the guys were complaining. I said, Shaq, Kobe's not passing the ball. I said, I'll talk to him. I said, Kobe, there's no I in team. And Kobe said, I know, but there's an in me in that. <laughs> so I went back. So I went back and told Rick and, uh, and Big Shot Bob, I said, just get the rebound. He's not passing. <laughs> Mamba, you were taken away from us way too soon. Your next chapter of life was just beginning. It was just a, a heartwarming uh, celebration of life, one in which there was laughter, which I think is uh, always poignant, and uh, lots of tears, obviously, uh, you're not used to Michael Jordan opening up like that, but for Michael Jordan to be sharing Shaquille O'Neal, but obviously um, to see and hear Vanessa Bryant with her strength and uh, just she needs to be in our prayers. The other three daughters need to be in our prayers because I just can't fathom. and I hope to never have to fathom losing a spouse and losing a child at the same time uh, is just so hard. And friends, I would just remind us, uh, I wanted you to hear those just because... Um, Man, it, they were powerful. But I also want to remind us of uh, of what Scripture tells us, that not another day is promised to us. And uh, that can get us down, but it also can give us an urgency to live life to the fullest, um, to not allow another day to be wasted, to remember what the book of James says, that our life is a mist. Uh, here today, gone tomorrow. And so how do we live our lives? We live our lives uh, with an urgency, but also an expectancy and a and a, uh, a focus on eternity that says there's more to this world uh, than what there is around us. And I think, sadly, it requires sometimes these types of things to wake us up, to shake us up and to go, man, I, I do need to remember that I need to be reminded of that news. And so we wanted to share some of those clips from the Kobe Bryant and Gianna uh, Gigi Bryant uh, celebration of life. Such a tragedy that still doesn't seem real a month later. 
but it does serve as a reminder to us to pray for those who are most affected. Uh, for most of us, we can just go on with our lives. But for the family and the close friends, this will go on for the rest of their lives. But two, to be reminded of these truths, uh, that this life, we're not guaranteed anything. And that then gives us our purpose and it gives us our urgency. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk to uh, Pastor Ken Johnson. Ken is the senior pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but as we are saying, as we've been saying, Ian Simpkins is uh, away at school this week. He is getting smart, so hopefully that will rub off on our show when he gets back. Uh, but one of the things we love to do when one of us is missing is to bring in friends, to bring in other pastors, other ministry leaders within the Chicagoland area. And uh, with that in mind, I am uh, thrilled to be joined by a friend of mine named Ken Johnson. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks, thanks for the invite, Brian. Absolutely. Ken is the pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park. And uh, Ken and I actually know each other. We're both part of a pastor's group called a 67 group. So hopefully those guys are all at least listening today. <laughs> hopefully they're listening to us. Ken, why don't you, uh, your story's a, a bit fascinating. You didn't go to school to be a pastor. So uh, I love for people out there to hear the journeys of, of pastors and people, because I just think it's fascinating to hear how we get where we are. So why don't you tell us uh, in as much detail as you want the story that eventually led you to become a pastor? Well, actually, I did go to school to be a pastor. It was just delayed by a number of years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, actually, I went to school for a long time. Um, yeah, I, I was. I felt called to the ministry when I was about seven years old. Oh. I remember one worship service I was at, and uh, I felt called to be a preacher at age seven. I uh, used to have uh, worship services in our house for neighbors, uh, set up a little <laughs> sanctuary in our living room. And uh, when you were seven, when I was seven years old, wow. I enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed, uh, really felt called to the ministry. But um, and so that's all I felt I ever was called to do until um, I got to college. Later, high school uh, at age 17, I preached my first ser uh, sermon at, at worship. I was a deacon at the church. Um, I had never thought really of anything else. I just thought, well, I'm going to go into the ministry. So I got into college. And I think many of us know Certainly as pastors and as parents, we know that uh, if you've been raised in the faith, 
Uh, when you get to college, it's a challenge yeah. because now you have to say, you know, is this faith mine? Is it? What questions do I have? You know, it's a very healthy process. I would always encourage parents, if your child is quite, if you've been raised in the faith and your child is questioning, uh, don't completely squash it. Give them mm-hmm. some freedom to, to, to question so that they can make their faith their own. Um, I ended up graduating in, in a majored in philosophy, and I had a number of, a number of philosophical and theological questions. And so, when I graduated from uh, college, uh, it didn't make sense to go right on to seminary because of some of the questions I had. So, uh, I ended up working, getting the best job I could get at the time for a living, and that was the airline industry. So, I worked in sales and reservations for First uh, First Air Canada downtown in the Loop in Chicago, and then I worked for. Uh, British Airways uh, for about five years. So a total of 11 years in the airline industry. Uh, and while I was, during those 11 years, I really got involved in our local church uh, and um, uh, some of the questions I had, had that I'd had when I was in college uh, began to be answered and I felt the call again to mm. uh, to go to the, uh, become a pastor. So I, uh, in my mid-30s, which was at the time not really uh, Really old. I, 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 I found that uh, even today, you know, the average age of seminary is really uh, quite a bit higher than it used to be. Right. So in my mid-30s, I went to seminary and ended up uh, becoming a pastor. And then while I was doing my pastor, and I went back and did a, a, a doctor of ministry program through LSTC, uh, through the ACTS program, Association of Chicago Theological Schools, did a doctor of ministry and preaching and then uh, continued and did uh, two more two certificate programs, one in spiritual direction and the other in spiritual t- uh, transformation through the Transforming Center with Ruth Haley Barton in Wheaton. Um, so uh, lots of schooling yeah. to your question. There you go. Through all that, uh, really have enjoyed ministry, and it was great. You know, I I think that we sometimes, uh, when we're called to something, we we think that it's something immediate. So we say, "Oh, God wants me to do this," and so yeah. we. We just say, okay, I'm going to go do this. But a lot of times, it's just, actually, most of the time, it's all a matter of timing. Mm. Um, so it wasn't like my call was invalid. It was very valid at seven. It just didn't really, really didn't fulfill it until I was, you know, until almost 30 years later. Uh, so God has an interesting there you timeline. So. And, and you're, at, you're at Christ Covenant Church in Villa yeah. Park, which um, is a fascinating church because it is a successful merge of two churches. And I remember you and I, again, were in the same pastor's group as you were going about the merge. And I remember yeah. the rest of us going, that never works, man. Yeah. <laughs> that never works. And so yeah. I would love to know the story. Our people know the story behind even how you got to that point. And then what? why would you say this has successfully merged to this point? Yeah, the, the, most of the literature that's out there, uh, most of the resources you can read on this uh, topic uh, will tell you that the, the success rate is, is pretty low. And there are many reasons for that. Um, but in our particular case, we are of the same denomination in the same town, Villa Park. Uh, we had been doing things together for about eight years or so. When I say doing things together, I mean like having Good Friday services together, okay. doing vacation Bible school together, um, uh, getting together in other capacities. So we really got to know each other. Uh, the interesting thing about this is that we're kind of dissimilar congregations in the sense that, that the church that I was originally serving in Villa Park was much older uh, in terms of the age of the church, but also the makeup of the congregation, older white uh, people. And uh, the uh, other church that we merged with on the north side of Villa Park was almost entirely a second-generation Asian-American. Wow. So there, there's another challenge. You've got a cultural <laughs> yeah. difference. 
Uh, so really, it shouldn't work, right? But because uh, there are a number of factors why it worked, I think one was, as I said, we had been doing stuff together for quite a number of years. Uh, there was a real trust level that was built up between the two churches and, importantly, between myself as pastor of the one church, which was Villa Park Covenant Church, and then the former Parkwood Community Church, which yeah. is the Asian American Church. Uh, there was a real trust level built uh, uh, between us as far as pastor and congregation. So that was a big factor. Another factor was that we were very cognizant of the red flags that are out there, mm-hmm. uh, having read the literature. So we we decided that we would uh, first take a vote, both congregations, if we were even going to talk about this. Oh, okay. To even talk, yeah. if we're even going to date. <laughs> so we had both congregations vote on that simultaneously, and they uh, both congregations approved. So then the plan was to spend a full year with, Two task force forces and then a joint task force to uh, to discuss all the issues involved. Uh, after which point we would have a, a vote again mm. if we were going to actually merge. So there was a lot of time and prayer yeah. and and very good diligence, uh, due diligence, and uh, we voted. And both congregations voted about the same amount seventy five percent voted to to merge, uh, and so we did and. In this particular case, uh, I stayed on as pastor for a year. Uh, just everything yeah. was to stay in place for a year after the merge. Uh, anybody who was on staff would stay in place. The other pastor at Parkwood Community Church had already resigned, so it was just myself and then a part-time associate pastor. And then after a year, uh, there was the vote to uh, to confirm me as the permanent lead pastor. So, yeah. uh, and so now, Nick, let's see, April... 19th will be our fifth anniversary man of uh of being of having merged it feels like you've made it you know it does and there's always challenges and there still are still are challenges but um you know what is it in the is in the business industry is you know like restaurants if you can survive five years you're <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> i'm not saying it. the church is like a restaurant but <laughs> sometimes you know, it is <laughs> it's an organization and you know one thing one other thing i would like to add is that usually in a merge uh if you do merge, it's you, you really get a third location. You don't move into one oh, of the yeah, two yeah. churches because then nobody feels like you know you're moving in on their space. Yep. And in this case, for a number of reasons, financially particularly, that was not an option. So we moved into the former Parkwood Church because it was bigger and had more uh, space for kids. Because we're about 50, half of our congregation are, are children and youth. Oh uh, wow! So we needed more class space, and uh, so that has worked. And you know, just a few months after the merge, I know someone from the former Villa Park Church, uh, been attending a long, long time, sat there and said, you know, this is my church. That's great. Uh, that was huge. That had to make the work worth it. Well, you're listening to Ken Johnson. He is the uh, senior pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park. Ken is also the chairman of the board at Love, Inc. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Love, Inc. as an organization, what it is doing. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out for the week. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us with Ian Gone. Uh, we are bringing in people, local pastors, local ministry leaders throughout the course of this week, helping you get to know people from here in the Chicagoland. Uh, with that in mind, we are excited to continue to be joined by Ken Johnson. 
Uh, Ken is a uh, is a is the lead pastor at Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park. If you missed his first segment, he kind of talked about his story about how he became uh, kind of the. Uh, Felt called early in life, but then there was uh, a, a season of not being a pastor, but then coming back and being a pastor, all very encouraging, but also the merge his church made. Uh, but Ken, something else uh, that you do, we mentioned before the break, is you're the chairman of the board of Love, Inc., and uh, a lot more, you know, most pastors out there are aware of what Love, Inc., but probably most of our listeners are not. Could you explain uh, who Love, Inc. is, what it does, what its purpose is? Sure. Uh, Love, Inc. is... Uh Nonprofit organization that started uh, back in the mid '70s in Michigan, actually by a couple of pastors that wanted to uh, uh, work with other churches, uh, several churches coming together to help meet the needs uh, of those uh, in the community, uh, particularly the poor. And you know, as pastors, we all we all have dealt with this, where someone comes to our door uh, at church, and uh, and if we're there, we answer the door. Right. If there's a secretary, they answer the door, and somebody that's looking for help. And one of the issues with that, uh, most pastors will know, is that, um, first of all, you're not sure about the legitimacy of the need. Absolutely. I'm not saying that we, uh, we we doubt everybody, but there's always that, because we know that uh, people also oftentimes go from church to church, organization to organization, and it becomes kind of a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, properly uh, vet people in terms of what their needs are, and then make sure that you're not just uh, uh, encouraging uh doing this constantly without finding some, you know, some work or whatever. So, um, you know, we have, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, when helping hurts. I have, uh, it's a very, uh, it's a very, uh, it'll blow your mind. That yeah. book, that book is a hard one to yeah. read. <laughs> so loving really buys into the philosophy that, that we want to help, but we want to uh, do it in a way that doesn't just enable or hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, it really helps people. So as I said, this started in the seventies and then, uh, there, uh, it grew across the country in other affiliates, and so our local affiliate that I'm the chair of the board at is Love Christian Clearinghouse uh, for Eastern DuPage uh, with a with a Love Helpline call in line, not walk in, but helpline that's located in uh, Westmont. Um, so we work. Uh, the, our whole purpose is to uh, mobilize local churches to help the poor, yeah, prevent homelessness. So we work. Uh, in fact, we're not an agency or a ministry because without Churches participating financially, uh, volunteer-wise, and program-wise, uh, we wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, so some people sometimes think of us just as an agency. Oh, send them to love help. Well, actually, we work with churches, and we are a collaboration of churches, and really try to em- overemphasize that so people yeah. know that uh, uh, that their that is when I say their churches' uh, contribution is extremely important. Uh, so we have really two kinds of. Ministries that we really uh, are part of. One is the what we call stopgap ministries mm-hmm. or bump in the road ministries. People that have a, a a need that comes up, they can't make their rent for the month. Uh, they need help with car repairs. They need help with utilities. Uh, people call in and to our number, and there's a counselor that will work with them sometimes for an hour on the phone, pray wow. with them, share all the referrals uh, that 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 we know of in the in the county to get uh, further help. Uh, and then for those that qualify, uh, if there is this need for, for help with rent, there's a certain uh, amount of help that is given uh, financially. But the financial piece is not the biggest part. It's the referrals. Uh, and then there's a follow-up with people that have called in uh, to uh, see how things went with them. So wow. um, so that Love Help program is uh, uh, is is key uh, for us. 
other gap ministries would we do we do toy express which is toys for low-income children at christmas we do mm. food and fuel so gas voucher and food pantry list for uh uh, for low-income families. We do Laces with Love, which is gym shoes to start the school year for low-income oh. children. And we do have this bucket brigade, uh, cleaning supplies for local church food pantries. Uh, so those are all kind of stopgap in the sense they meet a particular need. Uh, but what Love, Inc. really nationally, and each affiliate really wants to concentrate on, and we're moving in more into this, is what we call transformational ministry. Yeah, yeah. So would you rather just give somebody some help, some referral, or would you like to come alongside them and really see their lives transformed? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're now putting together, and I'll leave this with you, Brian, for your own church, but Absolutely. moving forward together, which uh, describes what transformational ministries uh, uh, deals with. Uh, a good example would be uh, a 12-week class on uh, affirming potential. Mm-hmm. So kind of life coaching over 12 weeks, budget, jobs, relationships, family, parenting, uh, and it's the kind of program that's set up where you have mentors that are part of this class yeah. too that come alongside these people. And the hope then is to connect them with the church mm. uh, longer term so that there can be this real truly, because uh, spiritual transformation is also a goal of this, of this ministry. Uh, we're Love Inc. in the name of Christ, so we make no apologies. We are a Christian organization. So well, we I do, didn't know that's what the Inc. stood for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, we, you know, we do get some funding from grants, but uh, the funding from churches is really important, and the volunteers from churches yeah. is very important. Absolutely. Well. So how can a church get involved? If a pastor's out there right now, or someone that's going to go bang the door of their pastor and say, hey, this sounds like something we need to be involved in, what does that look like for a church? What it looks like is uh, we would, uh, uh, one thing we would do is meet with you personally. Uh, Anne-Marie Schuster, who's our uh, executive director, she and I do a lot of uh, lunches with with pastors, whether they oh, cool. call us or not, just to get connected. <laughs> uh, there's some 120, 130 churches in eastern. We do mostly eastern DuPage County, and I'd say we have 45 or 50 that are active participants, whether, wow. whether it's uh, financially or volunteers on the helpline or doing some other part of ministry. Uh, the best thing is just to uh, is just to call us or go to our website and uh, you know contact us. Uh, should I give that number? Go right ahead. Yeah, six, absolutely. Six three zero five one two eight six six five. Six three zero five one two eight six six five. Or go to our website, uh, love l o v e all small letters dash cc dot org, because uh, we go by Love Christian Clearinghouse gotcha. as far as the East, that's our title. Yep. But we're part of the larger national. Love, Inc. And if uh, someone's out there listening right now and they are in a bad way, they, mm-hmm. they hear what you guys provide. Does it have, do they have to go through a church or can they call directly as well? They can call directly. Uh, if, you, if they go through a church, it's best to um, have the pastor of that church call Love directly. Okay. Uh, because we're working so closely with churches, we kind of, well, I say kind of, we do give priority sure. to churches that have people with needs gotcha. that come to their door. Because that's what we want to encourage. Yep. Go to a church. Uh, we have a love. Uh, we have a benevolent fund in our church that we help people with that come in our church and outside our church for help. Yep. Uh, but we also partner with love. And the first thing I do is is call love. Awesome. I so, uh, see. Here's one of the things is as I talked about vetting earlier. Uh, as a pastor, I, you know we're all busy as pastors, and mm-hmm. someone comes and and we we like to hear their story and we pray with them and we try to do what we can. Uh, but we can't spend a full hour with that's everybody right. who comes necessarily. And find out all what the background is, just to, not because we doubt them, but we just we want to have some verification and some accountability. Yep. And the other thing about love is everybody has to contribute something that's looking for help. Mm. Um, and so call love because we do it all. 
yeah in that hour on the phone and then follow up with them and then refer back to the church and uh, so yeah it's yep. a, and so that's right. love you said dash cc dot org is I get that I get that right yeah you did all right so go to that if you're a pastor or if you're someone in need uh, love Inc as a pastor locally I should tell you it's it's a well known and well respected organization so. Uh, go check that out. Well, Ken Johnson from Christ Covenant Church in Villa Park is going to join us for one more segment. It's one of those fun segments where we're just going to shoot all over the place, talking uh, just two pastors, just talking. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Ian Simpkins normally uh, with me, but Ian is out for the week. Uh, he's getting smart, John. That's what he's doing this week. He's just out getting smart. So he's at, he's at a, kind of an intense week of grad school. Uh, and so we look forward to all of Ian's wisdom when he comes back. And, uh, he went south. That's why he's smart. That's why he's he smart. Went, yeah, he Tennessee, I believe. Although, temperature, and music, uh, and awesome stuff. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that is the trade-off of having to do schoolwork. Is is the move? But that, I'm giving time. my own cards Do-no there. So Ian, he'll find time. <laughs> he always. The question, Brian, is when are you going to get smart? <laughs> nope, that's it. <laughs> I've, I've shut it down. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast go ahead subscribe rate review uh that other voice you heard is ken johnson ken has been joining us uh for the last couple segments ken is uh the lead pastor at christ covenant church in villa park he is also the chairman of the board of of uh love inc Uh, actually love oh i'm gonna get it wrong christian Christian clearing house which is under the umbrella of love inc uh you can find out more about that at love.cc.org uh, and if you're curious about it, go ahead on the podcast and listen to the last segment. Well, uh, Ken, as I've said, you and I are both local pastors. We've gotten to know each other by being part of a group called the 67 Group, which is basically an organization where they set up these small groups of pastors with a moderator. And it's basically like, hey, none of these people around here are going to be impressed by you, impressed by your church. They just want to care for you and hope you're doing well. And so... Uh, you and I, I think, have been, what are we, five, six years now in the same group? Uh, yeah, you were there before I came. And Not I th- by much. Yeah, yeah, I think it was just around five years. You're right. Yeah, so uh, time does fly. Time does fly. So I know that at your heart, and you shared this earlier, is being a pastor, that you feel called from an early age to be a pastor. Uh, so I want to start with just, a, I want to go through just a couple pastoral questions. And let me ask mm-hmm. you this. Um, this is a pretty broad question. What do you like about being a pastor? What gets you excited about being a pastor? Uh, the thing that gets me really excited always has I, I, the the academic part of it in terms of the schooling I did and then the teaching that I do and the preaching is uh, is always important. I always enjoy it. Uh, but most of all, I enjoy uh, working with people. And I, uh, for me, I say, and probably my congregants might say, probably will say this too is that my, my giftedness has to uh, do with uh, visitation and yeah. uh, the relationship piece. Um, and that's that's really been the most enjoyable for me. Uh, a few years ago, I went through, well, actually, I say a few, I have to say like five or six, no, <laughs> ten years ago, <laughs> uh, I went through a, a training program to do spiritual direction uh, through our seminary, a two-year program, to be a certified spiritual director. And for those who don't know what spiritual direction is, it is a, a very old, old, centuries-old uh, program in the church where you are working one-on-one with people, walking with one-on-one with people, 
in terms of their relationship with God, in terms of their prayer life, in terms of what they sense God is calling them to, inviting them to. Uh, it's not a problem-solving kind of—it's not like counseling. It's, mm-hmm. it's very different. You don't come in with a problem necessarily. You just monthly meet for an hour and, uh, and just have—the uh, Holy Spirit really is the director, but then the one who's uh, doing the official directing is listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to the directee, mm-hmm. uh, and asking questions and just uh, uh, drawing out where they sense God is leading them, what God is doing in their lives. Uh, I took that training, and when I took that training, when I finished that training and I do spiritual direction now, it is it is the, uh, the most enjoyable thing that I do. Uh, and within the context of the congregation, it really helped me as a pastor to uh, to listen more mm. carefully and more deeply. Um, I thought I was a good listener before, but this uh, takes it to a whole new level. Uh, so it's the way I approach meetings. It's the way I approach preaching. Really? It's the way I approach visitation. It's the way I approach uh, everything I do. Uh, so... I really, yeah, that's where I get my most joy. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you foresee, um, let's ask the question this way, what do you think are the biggest issues facing the church? And I'm talking big C, evangelical church. Uh, so not not really your church, but uh, what when you look around at the church, what concerns you, what worries you? Uh, something that's always concerned me, but concerns me even more is, uh, and this is, you know, we're talking about the American church, yeah. right? the North American yeah. church, Western that's right. Church is the personality-driven ministries. Mm. Um, I just saw in the news uh, was it yesterday? Well, you had I saw it on Common Good. There you go. About Jean Vanier. <laughs> Jean Vanier. Yes. I don't want to get too much into that. Just to say that uh, his ministry has always just been such an appeal to me. Uh, I know uh, Henry Nowen yeah. uh, did some work at his place uh, in Toronto. Uh, I had so much respect for him, and then here's somebody that you know got these issues yeah uh we're you know we're all human we're all broken as pastors as leaders uh and people just seem to it's like paul when paul said some of you say you're following peter and some of you are following apollos and some of you are following you know paul uh some of you are following christ it says what what, we're not divided we're all following christ so yes i understand the charismatic aspect of the ministry but i think it just gets out of hand and we place too much faith in uh uh, personalities. Yeah. I, that's, right? <laughs> Ian and I, we shake our head all the time of how many stories yeah. we've done in just yeah. a year of that exact uh, issue. But it's such a it's a hard draw, right? It is difficult. Uh, how about this? Uh, you might not know this, but there's an election coming up. It's coming up. I don't know really? if you're aware of that. <laughs> that we're in an election year. I think it's the first Tuesday in November, isn't it? <laughs> that's the rumor. <laughs> um Without, you know, you don't need to lay open your cards here, but I, I guess I would just say this or ask this. As a pastor, how do you think uh, we as pastors can, and churches can best navigate and help our people know how to best be over this next year? How are you going to talk about politics as a pastor uh, to kind of try to help your church? Um, well, I just said that I think our churches are too much personality driven. I can mm. say that our churches are too much politically driven. Mm. So I would say this, whether there's an election year coming up or even if there wasn't the kind of controversy there is and division that there is, is this focus upon uh, where our true and our highest loyalties lie. And yeah. that is in the kingdom and that is in Christ. Uh, does that mean we don't get involved in politics? Of course we do. Uh, we care very much. Uh, but our highest loyalty really is to the kingdom. Yes. And and that, regardless of who you support, regardless of what your policy, your your your, your values, you know, policies are, um, we have to keep 
keep that focus. Now, having said that, uh, number one, I never preach from the pulpit mm-hmm. at all politically, specifically. Uh, and I know there are churches that do. There's some uh, traditions that do. And, and I'm not saying that you can't do that. I just right. that's not that's what I do. Uh, I preach. Uh, I preach the kingdom, and then in some ways, I can draw some connections. But I allow people to draw what those connections are right. and who they should should mm-hmm. support. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try not to be too divisive. Uh, but in this current climate, uh, I'm finding it really it's hard, really <laughs> hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I'm sure most pastors are. No doubt. No doubt. With the last minute we have left, Ken, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, we like to do this for pastors. Somebody's out there listening right now, and they're not even sure why they're listening. And they're going, you know, they're kind of down They're They're struggling with life. Let me mm-hmm. give you a minute to be pastoral and speak to that person who feels kind of hopeless out there. Well, I'll just say that last Sunday's text was uh, the transfiguration where Jesus is on the mount with his three disciples and uh, from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17. And Jesus, uh, the disciples are extremely afraid, uh, and they fall on their faces. And it's the only place in the gospel earlier Jesus comes up. Every, everybody usually comes to Jesus. So this is where Jesus comes down to the disciples, mm. and he touches them. And he says, do not be afraid. So I told my parishioners yesterday in my message, I said, this week, if there's a time that you're afraid, there's a time that you are discouraged, there's a time that you're worried, there's a time that you uh, don't know what to do. Uh, imagine Jesus touching you mm. and saying, it's okay. Don't be afraid. That's great. I got this. Oh man, that's a good sermon right there. That's yeah. good. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. This is really fun. It's fun yeah. to have friends in. Yeah. Thanks Brian. Uh, thanks you've been listening uh, to Ken Johnson. He is the lead pastor at Christ covenant church in Villa park. Also the chairman of the board of love uh, Christian clearing house, which is underneath love Inc. Um, and so, Ken, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank uh, you. Again, Ian Simpkins not going to be in all week, but we're glad that you're joining us. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Yeah.